0: Uh, Good evening, everybody. My name is Vic. If I haven't met you yet, if you're a guest, please do stick around. I'd love to say hi, shake your hand, share a cup of coffee. Um, Today is quite a monumentous uh, evening because we are concluding a a series that pretty much has taken up all of this here. We preach through the Old Testament, one book each week. Trying to highlight that it's ultimately about one story, God's amazing tapestry of leading us, really, and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't have orchestrated this even if we tried, uh, to land at this Advent season, you know, the end of the Old Testament, as we'll see, the last book, is called Malachi, so if you want to find that, you read along with us, if you don't want to follow up on the screen, you can do that now, but um, yeah, we are, um, we are kicking off our Advent series next week, um, and you know, what better book to, to preach the week before, than Malachi. Um, and so uh, a couple of things to say about Malachi, but before I do that, let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into this amazing book. Lord, thank you for your spirit here. Lord, we, uh, we felt your presence as we sung, as we prayed, interceded, Lord, as we confessed. Uh, you just met us so uh, wonderfully. So thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, in in showing up in such a profound way and so I want to ask that you would continue to do that as we preach through uh, this book that you would lead me by your spirit help me to uh, um, get your message across not mine um, and may we all be shaped and transformed uh, by your word and uh, and leave you a different as a result in your name I pray amen right so um, this book in terms of its date uh, it's probably sort of mid 5th century BC, many uh, scholars believe that Malachi was actually a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. We've preached through those books before, maybe you can remember it. Um, But uh, that claim is supported by sort of three big ideas. The first one is that uh, they refer to the existence of the temples. So in other words, the temple was already rebuilt. And then after that, they went on to rebuilding the walls. That's what Nehemiah is all about. Um, they also reference uh, in this book, the governor or a governor, which at that stage was a... Common term used for regional offician, officials, sorry, during the Persian period, which is where they find themselves in right now, oppressed by the Persians. Um, or I wouldn't say oppressed; they kind of had a nice, nice long leash. They could sort of, you know, run around with the illusion of some space, but it wasn't their land per se. Um, and then the last uh, connection is just the sins that Malachi confronts uh, in this um, uh, in this book, actually uh, parallel. What you would find the the, uh, ne- the prophets Nehemiah and Ezra confronted. Just want to make sure these mics are off because I'm kind of ringing, and uh, I'm sure you guys will get that ring out in a moment. I don't want to be ringing in your ears. You know what I'm saying? So uh, the meaning. Of malachi is very simple it just means my messenger or messenger of the lord either one would work and the style of the book of malachi is satire which is obviously many of our favorites you know sort of sarcasm um, so it's mostly prose there's a lot of poetry in other uh, um, prophetic books but in this one it's mostly prose and uh, the means by which the satire comes across are all these rhetorical questions that malachi asks you know um, we would call them dumb stupid questions uh, you know questions that we don't have to answer but the lord takes his time to do so in any way through uh, through malachi's um, preaching uh, it has actually an amazing structure it's very clear to see uh, you know as things uh, switch over from one subject matter to the next um, uh, they are sort of arguments and debates that the lord makes against this uh um the 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 readers or the listeners through malachi six major ones um uh, scholars call them disputations it's not a word i use a lot so i'm going to sort of stick with arguments or slash debates uh, against uh, them and uh, uh there's a beautiful structure i'm not going to show you those six arguments in the structure that the scholars would break it up i can't even pronounce the literary terms to to describe that i'm just going to summarize it in four major headings All right and today you're getting an upgrade today i have both sermon points as well as Uh, verses up on the screen for you I mean this hasn't happened for the longest time hey so uh, yeah I'm gonna spoil you just so that the taste in your mouth in terms of what Malachi what the series is like is a good one all right so I'm gonna jump into these four big uh, um, arguments against these disputations starting with the first one uh, that is is summarized as polluted offerings the people of uh, Malachi's day were um, offering polluted offerings all right so let's see what that means we're going to just read chapter 1 verse 6 to 8 if that's okay chapter 1 verse 6 to 8 uh just to summarize this follow along with me on the screen if you want to a son honors his father and a servant his master if if then i am a father where's my honor and if i'm a master where's my fear says the Lord of hosts to you. Remember in our worship time, uh, we talked about the name of God, Yahweh. Uh, when you see in your Bibles, the word Lord, all caps, that's actually the word Yahweh. You know, so I could substitute it very easily with the Yahweh of hosts. Last week we heard the hosts means angels, armies. So if I really want to extend this, I can go Yahweh of angels, armies. But um, I'm going to stick with Lord of hosts. Okay, And so this is what the Lord of hosts says to the priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Let's just stop over there. So... Um, In their day, uh, you know, they were bringing their assets, you know, their food and their livestock as offerings to the Lord. And the the Levitical uh, priest uh, uh, priest prescribed, you know, the law of Moses prescribes what condition they should be because God should be honored like a father and because God should be feared like a master. Uh, These should be of the best quality. And we see here that blind, lame, sick and injured animals, if you keep reading on, is, is actually what they are offering to the lord and they snort at it that's what some of these verses say it's like it's a mission for them like oh come on really this one this is my best this is my this is my best lamb you know why you know the, here's a here's a you know a sheep that just fell into a hole and broke its leg can't it just this would be more economical if i offered this one up it's gonna die anyway you know that that's kind of the attitude they had towards what they brought to the lord and uh, and of course god's saying hey i'm a father that it must be honored and a master that must be feared and he uses a great illustration right he's like you try take this to the governor let's see if your governor would be pleased with what you offer here it's often you know it's easy to sometimes talk to people even in in, in our modern day you know when when uh, when they declare oh, my life is the lord's and you know what i have is god's um it's often uh, uh you can compare what people give to the lord to how they perhaps are um, committed to their work space or committed to their you know, family members. And, and sometimes you can go, well, I think you know, if God is above your boss or if God is above your family, then uh, um, it, in terms of your actions, it doesn't quite seem like that. And this is, this is what God is he's using that kind of language. It's like, I know you will not give this to your governor. I'm above the governor. I'm the governor's governor, okay? Uh, and so you know he's, he's again he's sarcastic and uh, as you keep reading through Malachi you know God's saying I wish you would just shut the doors of the temple it's better you don't give anything than you give the junk that, that you are giving to me right now and we'll get to the point why is God so passionate about that we'll get to that eventually and God calls them a cheat if you, uh, you read, read right at the end of uh, chapter 1 you know verse 14 he says cursed be the cheat Who's got a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord, to the Lord, what is blemished? And then he says, because I'm a king, you know, I'm the Lord of Hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. And so, God is saying, hey man, um, you're cheating me. If you have it, you have the spotless, blemish sacrifice you can offer, and you vow it. If you don't show up, you know, if you don't, if you don't uh, give it, if you withhold that, you are cheating. You know, I mean, I know there's, there's, there's sometimes a frustration even in our culture when people like, yeah, 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 I'll be there. And then they don't show up, right? It's the same thing. It's like God is saying, don't tell me, yeah, 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 no, I'll, you can have it. Uh, you know, so you have it, you vow to give it, and then you do not give it. He's like, man, it's best you just, just be honest. At least there'll be integrity. Yeah. You know, because it lacks integrity saying, yeah, absolutely, I'll be there. Absolutely, I'll give it and not give it. It's better to say, no, you can't have it, and when you don't give it, at least there's integrity it's like yeah your word can be trusted in that sense okay and so often we can find ourselves even in 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 modern days in the, under the new covenant we can pay lip service you know you know what lip service means it means you say something but you act differently you, ultimately you don't see it through and we can pay lip service to god even in the way that we worship in our modern day talk is cheap as they say <laughs> And god is saying i want i want it to be costly we'll get to that in a moment again so that's the first one polluted offerings All right the second one is bad leadership bad leadership is that on there second one bad leadership there we go and uh with bad leadership uh we're going to read verse 3 and chapter 2 and then also verses 7 to 9 so let's do that together verse 3 chapter 2 behold i will rebuke your offering and spread dung on your faces. Yeah, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Okay, what does that mean before I read the rest of it? Um, They were supposed to separate. Okay, so now these are the leaders. Okay, these are the priests. These are the guys that would administrate the offerings that are brought. And so, you know, the accusation here is that these leaders who are held to a higher account, because they know the truth, they should teach the truth, they are, are, are enabling and encouraging these terrible offerings that we see in point one. And what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to take the dung and separate it from the offerings. That's the way. You should, you should take the poo-poo and take it away, okay? That's, 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 that's one part of the purification. The pure. And I, th- I would imagine they didn't do that. And so God's like, well, on your faces then, okay? If you want to bring this crap, excuse me for using that, that term, that's what it is. If you want to bring it, will be on your faces. You know, we, all, we would say egg on your faces. Oh, I'm so sorry, Courtney, did I offend you and your mother? Um, uh, but, you know, we say egg on your faces, God's saying poop on your faces, okay? Because he's saying, and it, you know, he's talking about it shall be taken away with it, because that's what it was supposed to. You're supposed to take the dung away from the offerings. And he's saying, I'm going to put it on your faces and I'm going to remove you. And he's speaking to the leadership specifically. So let's read uh, verses 7 to 9 in chapter 2 together. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so um, verse 9 And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. You know, you've got uh, dung on your face, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but you show partiality. Your instruction. Okay, so these priests are basically saying, Yeah, it's okay, you can give it uh, in in the condition that it is in. And in doing so, they are misrepresenting the priesthood. They are misrepresenting, and so he he refers here to the OG priest, Levi. Okay, that's where the tribe, the Levites, were all the priests. Um, And, you know, God goes on a few verses above uh, that what we read uh, describing what Levi and his original uh, state were. was he feared god all right and he stood in awe of god uh levi gave true instruction levi turned many away from iniquity. that was the job of these leaders versus what these guys were doing um we know we read in verse 7 that people should seek instruction from their mouths and and they must guard knowledge but actually in verse 8 we see they caused many to stumble in the instruction bad teaching Uh, saying it's okay to bring your half-baked offerings uh they showed partiality in their instructions so i don't know maybe they you know told some people no no you can't do that and other people oh you can so there was like uh, discrepancies there they just misrepresented the priesthood they misrepresented the leaders in uh, the nation and uh, that's why if you fast forward right to the end of this book verse four of chapter four you don't have to read it but it says you know malachi concludes with these words saying remember the law of the servant moses remember his statutes and his rules actually number one and two plus number three and four that i'll share with you in a moment these are all results of forgetting the law and forgetting the statutes and the rules that god gave them and these leaders bad leaders are being held responsible Are being called out For doing that all right so number one polluted offerings number two bad leadership number three is idolatry and adultery i'm actually grouping them together they are two separate things but for the sake of of uh, of brevity um and uh, and you'll see how they are connected um, i'm putting them under one point so let's read verses 11 and verses 14 of chapter 2 together verse 11 chapter 2 says judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughters of a foreign God. Right, so there's the idolatry. Let's fast forward to verse 14. Verse 14 says, But you say, why does he not? All right, that's just the question. Why does uh, you know, the Lord uh, not accept our offerings? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant so what we see happening here is that the um, the men of Judah are marrying the daughters Of nations who serve idols and in doing so and it's been happening over and over again over the Old Testament when that happens men as strong as you think you are you're actually gonna be led astray these guys were led astray to then eventually worship the idols the false gods of the woman they married And so God wasn't against nations per se. He was against their practices, their worship of false gods. And that's why he's saying, keep it in the family, okay? And they weren't doing that. And what is even worse, it seems like these guys were divorcing their original wives, their their Israelite, their Jewish wives, so they could run after these and marry the women from other nations who served foreign gods, who were idolaters. And, you know, this is obviously a a big deal all, all through the, uh the old testament but what i what i was struck by here in malachi was just a vivid picture of marriage i mean it's just a few verses and and god actually elevates marriage in a in, in a in a in a profound way um and uh, so um let me read that for you uh, let's see if i can quickly do that um verse 15 did he not make them one This is what God's saying did he not make them one I make them one with a portion of the spirit in the union that's amazing and and what was the one God seeking godly offspring so he's saying guard yourselves in your spirit let you uh, none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth Um, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says the Lord God of Israel covers his garment with violence okay so in those few verses here's what we what we learn first of all that God witnesses a marriage okay that's why we, we, we don't just go to a magistrate office and get a certificate. That's why we actually do it in front of God's people in, in a place. Where it's officiated by one of God's ministers because we believe God witnesses it. That's what Malachi declares. He witnesses a marriage. Number two, um, God makes them one with a portion of his spirit. My goodness. That's, that's how profound marriage is. It's not just a piece of paper, but there's this union. It's actually a reunion. If you look at Genesis 1, you know, God took Eve from the side of man and then actually marriage is a sense that hey you know we, uh, you, you're, you came out of me and now we're going to be reunited it's like it's that union that takes place by God's spirit as he witnesses it. it's a profound thing that he says of marriage and he says the point of that union is to produce godly offspring that's why he, he wants the parents to be in unity in terms of their love for the Lord that's why often we would discourage missionary dating You know, that's what he's trying to say. is that actually you should be both loving the Lord because when you both love the Lord, then your children are likely to love the Lord as well. As well, godly offspring. And then the last thing is he describes uh, divorce in some serious terms. He says divorce is like Violence. And it's because of point one and two, because he witnesses it and he, through his spirit, he unites a husband and a wife together. That actually when divorce takes place, it's not just an agreement, shaking hands, we go our ways, but it's painful. And if you're here tonight and you've been gone through a divorce, I'm not throwing stones at you. I would like for you to admit, yes, that was a very painful thing. And sometimes divorce must happen because of other reasons, other pains. The Bible does give some grounds for that too. And there's always grace. On the other side of that, that's the God we serve. He's the God of infinite second, third, fourth chances. I I believe that. But we can't therefore say, well, just that divorce is okay. The Bible tells us that when it happens, and from experience, and we've sat with many, many people, and if you're here today and you've gone through divorce, you probably would agree with me. There's a sense of violence, a tearing, a ripping, a pain that God does not want. And so, you know, malachi just sort of a little side note you know kind of just quickly talks about marriage in this profound way and of course he's confronting them saying hey i want you to not be idolaters and i don't want you to to actually be unequally yoked in a sense and in doing so divorcing bringing tremendous pain upon families because you're running after your sinfulness instead of serving me okay so he's confronts, us, confronts. Us. that's not a word but you know i'll give it to you he confronts idolatry and adultery number 4 fourth one is stinginess that he confronts verses 8 to 10 in chapter 3 it will summarize that if you have your bibles follow along otherwise it's on the screen verses 8 to 10 in chapter 3 says this will man rob god yet you are robbing me but you say how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions The principle in a church is often to address marriage, parenting, finances, kind of once a year at least. You know, These are important things. These are, these are areas where our discipleship and our following of Jesus should be, re- be reflected. And um, to be honest, I don't think we've done uh, certainly, I think all of them really, in over a year. So I'm going to take the gap, all right, <laughs> to... to, uh, to to just talk about finances. We're not a church who, you know, spends 20 minutes talking about money and then, you know, sending the basket around, you know, a couple of times until we feel like it's enough. Uh, we, we trust the Lord, and, but, but the Word of God, when we come to, you know, at, to sections like this, we've got to say what it says, you know. So I'm going to take this gap and, uh, and actually just share with you, I think, five principles that I see in all of Scripture here. God is obviously confronting them on the tithes and contributions that they are withholding. Um, And uh, we believe the gospel that we don't pay uh, for our sin. You know, even with the sacrifices that was point number two and and, and one, uh, uh, you know, they were atoning for their sin as they were shedding blood. Um, And we now have the Lamb of God that we sang about in that first song who shed his blood once for all. So yes, we're not talking about giving so that you pay for your sin or pay for your church membership in any way. No, of course not. The good news is that it is paid for us. But here's the thing. We have to pay for the news that you no longer need to pay for your sin. Right, we have to pay for that news to get out. Like that, that, those things cost money. We have to pay for the reality of coming together and worship like this. This venue, there's overheads. You know, there's equipment. There's 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 staff, Um, and so these are the things. In their day, the priests, the Levites, would live off of the tithe, tithes and offerings. They wouldn't have inheritance. They wouldn't even own a piece of land. Actually, the contributions, the generous contributions of the people, would sustain those people who are working for the Lord. It looks slightly different, but uh, in a similar way, that is the reality uh, in the. The church of Jesus as well so I don't have time to go through each of these I'm just gonna give you the headlines what I believe is a biblical principle in other words cover to cover cover Genesis to Revelation I, I you can do the, your study just to check whether this is true or not but I'm gonna throw them at you five of them okay five principles and I, they're gonna be up on screen as well boom shaka-laka there they are okay <laughs> so the first one the first one is we give proportionately right here in Malachi the word is used, tithe, the tithe is used. Tithe means 10%. And I would say that is a very good principle in Scripture. Many people come against that word, tithe, because they say, oh no, that's old covenant, you know, new covenant, you know, it's not mentioned. The Bible, New Testament mentions tithe, tithing, okay? But it obviously highlights the fact that grace, we're not under law, we're under grace. And I would say, if you understand grace correctly, properly understood, grace actually applies inflation. To ten percent, okay. I'm just gonna leave that with you. If if you say law says ten percent, I would say grace ups the ante a little bit, okay. And what ten percent of what you know as a principle? I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say ten percent just for the sake of you having a number, okay. Ten percent of what? Of your gross income, not your net income. So pre pre taxes, not when, when you know once you've paid for everything, whatever is left over. No, what comes in gross. That that. God says, you know, scoop, scoop off some and honor me with your first fruits. We'll get to that in a moment. So I want to say this. This may be a, a radical claim. But if you cannot live on 90% of your gross income, I would suggest that you are living above your means. You are living above your God-called intended means. And again, I'll get to the point in a moment. So number one is proportionately. You, can, you, you pick a number, you stick to it consistently second one so in other words it's not about giving often it's actually giving always Uh, the way i would say it is for every dollar in a portion of it goes out whatever comes in a portion of it goes out so proportionately but consistently and consistently how first bible talks about giving your first fruits if you're going to wait how much for money to be left at the end of the month you probably will not have enough to give consistently and proportionately this is the way I've seen how it happens but if you give first God is even clear you, he's like test me, try me out so that the consistency is not just like often, it's always, and I would say it's always first and you stick to that portion that you're giving in faith the third one is sacrificially, okay so I would say in addition to a proportionate consistent giving there are often unique need- needs, so in malachi he talks about tithes and contributions separating the two and so there are times when there's a disaster relief there's church planting initiatives there's clean water and a global food crisis that we have to give to and we don't adjust the consistent portion to make space for these unique giving so you don't cheat on the tithe so you can give those other things biblically those are over and above because that's sacrificial and i want to just say in this culture I think giving it's still like this it probably won't be for much longer and i can't wait for that day to be honest but there's a tax break for generous giving and so sometimes even your proportionate consistent giving is not sacrificial always because you get tax money back if you give in south africa for example where we come from for 30 what 6 35 34 years how long have we been here eight years so do the math anyway (laughs) all of my giving i said goodbye to it i had no tax break zero it's like it's gone sacrificially okay so proportionately consistently sacrificially and then of course cheerfully because some of you guys are not "Uh, uh, uh, this is terrible you know (laughs) this is ruining my night (laughs) no of course it must be done in faith not forced so when i'm speaking here i'm not forcing anybody to do anything okay not under compulsion is what the new testament says you give as you determine in your heart to give and i think there's much case under grace for that amount to at least start at 10 (laughs) percent and if you give in faith, the Bible says, "Faith pleases God." And the Bible also says that he loves a cheerful giver. So that is that is where we want to get to. But you know, we give with thankfulness as well. To be cheerful is to be thankful. And the Bible says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving." So if you are anxious about giving, the the way to 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 give properly with cheer is to be thankful for what you have because your giving is saying God you have provided for me and you will provide for me that's why I'm giving this in faith I'm, I'm digging into that the, digging the knife into my anxiety because I'm thankful for your provision and me giving proportionately consistently sacrificially is, 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 is an action it's my faith and my works my works showing my faith in you see not my works to, to be saved, because I'm saved, I find myself working in, with thankfulness. I find myself giving. So that's, that's the third one, cheerfully. And then the last, not fourth, fourth one. Fifth one is accountably. Okay, buckle up. As I was reading and I was thinking and preparing for this, I was, you know, I, I'd always known this, but it's a, quite a wake-up call. That your giving is not meant to be a you and Jesus thing. In the West, yeah, it's like, yeah, there's certain things that's private. Okay. In the Bible, it's actually a public thing. The early church disclosed what they gave. Like we know, they gave property, and actually when they withheld it, there's some accounts in the New Testament where that ended really badly for some people, where they didn't disclose the full amount. <laughs> in Malachi here, it's openly talked about. At the end of uh malachi there's a reference to jesus coming and it says the son of righteousness we know when he when he comes the son of righteousness will rise and th- that's that's christianity christianity is a faith of light in other words there are no shadows it's not like how hey, my giving is in the shadow it's in the backyard it's in the, like a, a separate ledger it's a book no one has access to it's in a safe actually if we in christianity would confess our sins to one another we bring that stuff into the light my, my friends what do you think about giving so I just want to let you know, I, I actually know what everybody gives in this church. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I mean I, I, I mean, I would be a bad leader if I treat people in accordance with what they give. It would be counter-gospel. That's not how God treats us. He doesn't treat us in accordance with our sacrifice. That's like earning your salvation. So I take my cues from Jesus. I love you. I'm so thankful for you to be here and everything. But I just want you to know that I know what you give. And my desire, my heart, is that you experience the blessings that God promises. In my life, in our lives, we, I mean, I maybe have not tithed four months of my life. When I was a young punk, okay, I thought I could, but in our, it doesn't matter, what, we teach our children this principle. What, what comes in, proportionate, goes out to the Lord. My son, you talk to Liam afterwards, he will tell you stories, he's just started working, of God Doing this Malachi thing, test me in this, God blessing this child. Like he comes home, he's like, I cannot believe this happened. I'm like, I can. Because he just took God at his word. Cheerfully, proportionately, faithfully, sacrificially, and accountably. I know. He gave. Those are the principles in the scriptures. Okay? Okay. So, there's two things to say before I move on. This will keep you free from the love of money. The only other time God... Jesus called another idol out by name. It's the God of money, Mammon. And when you give, you are driving again a sword, a dagger into the heart of the love of money. Money's not the problem, it's the love of it. So you've got to let go to show you don't love it. And there is an amazing spin off, as I said. You don't give because of the blessing, but God is true and faithful that He looks after you. He looks after you we have not seen the righteous beg for bread you know that's 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 an old testament verse of the faithfulness of god so trust him friends i want to say this before we move on to the final three points okay so i'm going to end off with three big points the uh, the first one's called the point um and then uh, after that it's going to be the problem and the promise i believe so um just think about this not giving your money do you really think you're robbing god like you think you're stealing his money we serve a God who owns and made everything okay so so what's going on there when he says you're robbing me you are not robbing God of his dollars he doesn't need your money okay what you are robbing God of and that's the 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 first of the final three points is is you're robbing him of his glory that's what's happening you're robbing him of his glory when you don't give of your body you know, in the Old Testament, it's this stuff. But actually, the New Testament, in Romans 12, it says we offer our bodies up as living sacrifices. So back then, it's like, don't give a lame and a sick and a, you know animal, but actually transfers now to us being living sacrifices. That we, While we're alive, we surrender our bodies. The who we are and what we have a bucks to the Lord in a similar way in the New Covenant. And when we do that, we continue uh, the point that Malachi is trying to make is that God must be glorified in the nations and it's, it's glorifying God to the nations as they look at it. So, won't you read this along with me? Chapter 1, verse 5, verse 11, verse 14, and then we're going to read chapter 3, verse 12. Just four verses that are sprinkled through Malachi to show you that's the point of him confronting them. Alright, so chapter 1, verse 5 says this. I guess I should turn there in my Bible. Um, it says this. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let's read verse 11. From the rising of the sun to its setting in my name, oh, sorry, to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14, cursed be the cheat who's got a male in his flock and vows it and then he sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And then chapter 3 verse 12 says this, then all nations will call you blessed. So this is in relation to giving. The previous one we read was in relation to their offerings. So the offer your bodies as living sacrifices and give of your first fruit, of your, of your wealth to the Lord. In both cases, it says the nations will call you blessed because you will be a land of delight, says the Lord. It is about the robbing God of his glory when we withhold our bodies and we with, when we withhold our bank accounts. There's the B. I knew there was an alliteration somewhere. <laughs> when you withhold your bodies and you withhold your bank accounts, you actually withhold glory from the Lord. That's the point. God's glory to the nations. Okay, how will this happen? When you do that, friends, when you give up your body as a living sacrifice, when you give up your bank account from your raw resources, you are creating the distinction. And I want you to read this in chapters 3, verse 16 to 18. Let's read that. I don't think I put that up on the screen, so just listen. Okay. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Now, of course, in Malachi's day and all in the history of Israel leading up to this moment, the whole year we preached through it, it, they just kept messing this thing up, not representing the Lord, not giving him glory, robbing him of his glory. And here is a promise that one day, God's going to change it. He's going to spare them like a, like a father spares a son. And once more, there will be a distinction. The problem that these people have of not giving off their bodies and not giving off their bank accounts and not, not being faithful to their wives and not being good leaders, all he's going to sort that out and there will be a distinction between those who serve God and those who does not serve him. Because actually, God can see your heart. That's great. Sometimes people say, oh, my heart's in the right place. But I tell you, I can see your hands that's it and the world can see your hands what you do with your money how you love your spouse what you do with your time and your resources that is the stuff that is telling the world who you serve you can tell me your heart's fine in the right place until you're blue in the face I've got to look at your hands I've got to look at your actions and this is how God gets glory there is a distinction between those who fear the Lord and those who do not and I want to ask you city gates is there a distinction in your life Because if not, you're not robbing him of rands and cents. So why do I say that? Rands are South African. You're not robbing him of dollars and cents, of nickels and dimes. You are robbing him of his glory. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Can I have some water, please? (laughs) Thanks, babes. All right. So that's the point, is his glory. Second one, we're almost through, is the problem. The problem with these guys, why they're not getting the point, is because it's, got, it's been rough for them, okay? They've been back about 100 years now, out of exile. It's been 18 years since there was amazing prophecies from Haggai and Zechariah about the temple's going to be rebuilt, and God's going to bring his presence in, there's going to be prosperity and all these things. And actually, all of these predictions, they feel pretty shamed, because it's like 100 years later, 80 years later, and none of it's happened, okay? economic economy is bad there's a a drought the the crops are failing and um i mean judah is not independent there's no davidic king and actually it's fascinating that all these books that were written post-exile they are so candid thank you so much my love the post-exilic books are so candid about how dead their religion is, and how dead life is. They they talk about no miraculous evidence of God's presence. The temple looks pathetic compared to what it was before, and that has caused these people to lose faith. Because in the absence of all those things, God wanted them still to be a people of faith and not to live by sight. What was that? Amos lived by faith, not by sight. It was one of, one of the prophets. say eh? he wanted them to be a people of faith, and they lost their faith. And I'm not going to read that, but you can see that in chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 17, and chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. Maybe let's just read chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. That'll give you the, um, the gist of it. This is God saying to them, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Because you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it's vain to serve God. What's the profit of keeping his charge? Or or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed. And evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So if you read those previous verses, chapter 2, 17 and chapter 1, verse 2, it's the same thing. They're basically saying, what's the point of serving the Lord? But God is telling them, hey, listen, I'm not far from you. You're far from me. He's calling them to return to him. And it's amazing. He's saying, I'm going to keep my promise apart from you being faithless apart from you being stingy apart from you being bad leaders apart from you giving blemished offerings this is god's grace coming through again here because when we read the beginning of this book in chapter 1 verse 2 i think it'll be up on the screen he says this he starts off it's amazing before malachi throws stones at them what does he say i have loved you says the lord but you say how have you loved us that's you know that's what they keep saying where's god and he says is not Esau Jacob's brother? Declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, Jacob, but Esau, I have hated. What does that mean? God is just talking here about His choice. Okay, so the word hate there is not, is, is is used in the context of as God favored Jacob, He obviously rejected Esau. Okay, and we preach through that also through one of the books. The Edomites eventually are the offspring of Esau, and God you know, promised that they're not going to make it, but Jacob will because he chose Jacob, not because of who Jacob was, but because of his mercy and grace. He's like, I'm going to keep my promises to bless you apart from all these things you're doing wrong, and I'm actually not far from you. I'm telling you, you are far from me. You should return to me. Chapter 3, verse 6 to 7. It should be up on the screen there this is this this call to return. God's saying, for I do not change, therefore you, chapter 3, verse 6 to 7, please. Um, He says, uh, it should be there. Um, This is under the the point of the problem. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob. So he's making a reference to verse 1. I've loved Jacob. I've rejected Esau. He's like, because I don't change you are not consumed from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statues you've not kept them so he's like look I haven't changed <laughs> I've chosen Jacob I've still chosen you you're not consumed you're doing all these things but you're still here and so he says return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts okay this is this is uh, um, God saying apart from how you behave I'm gonna be faithful I'm gonna be faithful So you've lost faith. That's the problem here. I'm not the problem. You're the problem. And it's just amazing that God, friends, even as I look at City Gates, God is going to build something here that is far more, or or we are part of a story that is far more sustainable than the history of City Gates and the future of City Gates. God's doing something in in, in this nation that, that is not based on their personal choices. It's based on the selection, the grace, the sovereign choice of God. God gets what he wants, friends. And so we can have faith. We can actually live by faith and not by sight. We might look around and go, this is it? My goodness, you know? Like, when, when are we going to have our own space? Like, you know, when are people going to show up again? Is this, is this it? But I want to be someone who trusts the Lord. I want to have faith. I want to live by sight. I live by faith because God is faithful. I trust him. And that's what he wants from them. And so then it ends off in the final point here, the promise. God is saying, hey, hang on. <laughs> I know you are. You, you feel like it's no point in serving me. You look around you and look at how you're behaving. You've lost faith. You've stopped trusting me. But hang on, I'm coming. Okay, and I want to set us up for our next uh, uh, sermon series through December. It's called Advent Square. Advent means the arrival. And actually, we want to focus on not just the first coming of Jesus, but that he promises like he came the first time. He said, I'm going to come back. Advent Square. He's going to come again. He'll do it again. But over here, they are anticipating the first coming, okay? So let's read chapters uh, 3, verse 1 to 5. It should be up on the screen. There we go. For behold... Oh, no, no, no. Oh, here we go. Behold... Actually, they both started with behold. It's very easy to start a Bible chapter. Just write behold. Verse 1, chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Who was that? It's the, it's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. And the Lord whom you seek, he'll suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so, uh, well, let's keep reading. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a full of soap. And I just think of John the Baptist, who is actually the messenger that Malachi is talking about here, who said that Jesus will come, you know, he's the lamb of God, he'll take away the sins of the world, but he will baptize you with the spirit and with fire, hey? And he says he's like a refiner's fire. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, the priests. And the New Testament tells us now that you and I are priests. It's no longer just reserved for the Levitical priesthood. It's all of those who follow Jesus. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. In other words, he's going to fix point one and two, bad offerings. Now, when Jesus comes... He is going to come to save us from the problem of Malachi's people and the prophets before. The problem that Israel had. He's going to rescue us from that. Our offerings will be done in righteousness now to the Lord. Can you see how it's concluding? This is incredible. So he first is going to come to save us from the problem of prevalent sin in our lives. But then he doesn't stop there. Okay. Verse 4 and 5. Let's read that. Then... uh, The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in in former former years. So, his first coming is going to fix that problem. Verse 5 Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who trust, uh, sorry, who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord. So, he's first going to come to save advent one advent squared is he's going to come to judge jesus came two thousand years ago to save that was the first words that the angels and deck declared and he will save people from their sins but then he's come again to judge and in chapter four verse one and two the last two scriptures we'll read together it describes what that will be like Verse 1 in chapter 4 says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Okay, so for some people, that second coming of Jesus will be like a hot oven. It'll be a hot mess. It'll be a dumpster fire. It will be a consuming fire. But listen to this, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Isn't that incredible? It's basically saying that Jesus came to save and those who accepted Jesus, who are righteous, who fear the Lord, who serve the Lord. The same day of judgment, the second coming of Christ. For some, it will be like a hot mess. And for others, it will be like the sun shining. And that's the hope that we as christians have that's the hope that we live in today we know god kept his promise when he came the first time he promised through the old testament i'm coming i'm coming malachi saying i'm coming and then he came and then jesus said i'll come again and now we stand in between that now not yet kingdom excited about his return because he came once he said he'd do it that's why we believe he'll do it again and for us it'll be a sunny day but for some it'll be a hot mess and that's the hope that we proclaim and friends do you know what's amazing about this it took 450 years before this <laughs> took place after the end of malachi there's like 400 odd years of silence i want to ask you this question when was the last time in the bible where his people were oppressed then was 400 years of nothing class <laughs> the exodus yeah when they were in slavery and so, this is amazing because we know, we know how this ends. I mean, we just flip the page and, we're like, boom, New Testament. Here we go. We start with Matthew. For us, 450 years is two quick pages. But that new Exodus, saving out of slavery, I mean, it's just, I don't have time to get into that. But that is what we are heading into, into this next season, as we celebrate the first coming, the coming of our Lord. And, uh, We'll look at love, peace, and joy, and so on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end over, over there. I, I trust you were encouraged. I know I went on a little long to, tonight, um, but I, I set us up for uh, our Advent series as well. And, uh, and there were a couple little extra nuggets that Malachi threw in there for us, just about life and discipleship as we follow Jesus in the new, new, new covenant. Okay, so let's, let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Uh, I'll pray, and then uh, I'll send us on our way with the commission. Lord, thank you. Thank you that um, it doesn't end with Malachi. Lord, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the account of the promised Savior coming. And we live in the fruit of that, that actually the issues that the people of Malachi's day faced, the idolatry, the the half-baked offerings given to you, the stinginess that actually those sins that we even commit today are covered by what you've done for us on the cross. And then when you poured out your spirit and you gave us your Holy Spirit, you empower us to live differently, to actually be people that are visibly different from others so that your name may be praised. And so will you help us as a church, Lord, to to live with that distinction? We can't conjure it up. We can't Uh, put up a show and fake it till we make it we need you to turn us around from the inside out so that what our hearts want our hands do will you do that in us lord that's the promise of the new covenant when you died on that cross you said it's finished your sins paid for and actually now we can live free admit our sins to one another and make changes by the power of your spirit so that your name may be proclaimed so that when people look at us they go glory to god we want to give you glory and Lord, help us in this advent season to celebrate your faithfulness, that you came and that you promise you'll come again. And we want to declare that message of hope to anybody that may will hear us, will hear our message in Jesus name. Amen.